Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male. You may take it from either the sheep or of the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning, you must burn. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Tonight's psalm is Psalm 78, verses 15 through 26. We will read responsively by whole verse. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud, and all the night through with a light of fire. He split the hard rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance as out of the great deep. He brought waters out of the stony rock so that it gushed out like the rivers. Yet for all this, they sinned more against him and provoked the Most High in the wilderness. They tested God in their hearts and demanded food for their craving. They spoke against God, saying, May God prepare a table in the wilderness. Indeed, he smote the stony rock so that water gushed out and the streams overflowed. But can he give bread also or provide meat for his people? The Lord heard this. He was full of wrath. So the fire was kindled against Jacob and he stirred up fears and against Israel. Because they did not believe in God and did not put their trust in his help, so he commanded the clouds above 
and open the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. So mortals ate the bread of angels, for he sent them food enough. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Our New Testament reading today is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he betrayed, he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word of the Lord. Tonight's gospel message comes from Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at this table. For the Son of Man goes at his, as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on the throne judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you so that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. 
Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you even know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or no knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, that is enough. And he, went, and he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Friends, let us pray. Lord God, on this night uh, so many years ago, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, said now the hour has come for the Father to be glorified. Now the hour has come. Lord, who are we to even think on such things? But Lord, may this hour be not an hour of preaching, but may this time of preaching and this hour of worship be to you glorification of your name. Lord, use me, use all of us that we may understand you and your passion. We pray this in the name of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In seminary, I, um, uh, well, I won't go down some of those paths about that. In seminary, I love theology. Had a lot of theology classes. The seminary I went to was um, known primarily for its biblical study, its biblical exegesis, uh, biblical interpretation, but also its um, theology courses. And I had, I'm not for sure how many, but I had every theology course that um, was available. Theology is an interesting thing. It's, it's, our, uh, it's our attempt to try to understand God. It's somewhat like Mona Lisa trying to understand, what am I doing here? Us compared to God is so significant. And sometimes we reach beyond, I think, maybe what God has intended for us to know and we start adding in our own stuff. But we can know one thing. God wants us to understand him within the context of Holy Scripture. So you got all these different theologies going on and some of them, most of them are really powerful and really good and, and I, I, I feed on them in many ways. But my last theology course that I had it was a four-hour class. It was that serious. It was called Biblical Theology. And what did Biblical Theology, and Jay's referred to this, Biblical Theology is all about Jesus Christ from the beginning. 
You ever seen, um, I've seen a lot of Christians that when they first get saved, they want to understand the rest of Scripture. You've ever looked at Scripture in, in this way, and I'm just sort of doing this. Real, oh, here you go, perfect. God must be in this. Here's the New Testament. There's the rest of Scripture. So, does it just not have any more relevance? Now that Jesus come, can we kind of cut this Bible down to fifth or a sixth of its size and just study now in the very beginning we the they we are told hovered over the waters in chapter 3 of Genesis uh, Jay's preached on this and in, in, in chapter in, in verse 15 of chapter 3 God promises there there will be a redemption someday he's given us a story about his relationship with us and it begins all the way at the beginning of Genesis and runs all the way through to the end of Revelation. The story is about God and his people that he has created. All oh, we're told in the very beginning of Genesis in his image. Now that's theology. We want to know something about God. Let me tell you something about God. He is awesome enough where he creates everything out of nothing. And he creates his highest order in his own image. And he gives his highest order this ability to make choices. We're not robots. We're not even the angels. We are his people made in his image. And we fall. And it doesn't take very long. One temptation from the devil. The Lord God said, one thing you can't have. And man says, really? And we fall. But it doesn't take long. It does not take long for God to promise redemption. If you speed forward through the, through the chapters, through the books, you see awesome things. You see uh, God calling a man out and his family that will become a great nation unto the world. And through these people, his redemption will be made known. You will see God's people being rescued from Israel and, excuse me, from Egypt and in a ways that are unimaginable to man. But he pulls an entire nation out. You will see him meeting man at the Mount Sinai, the top of this mountain with Moses, receiving the law of God. You'll see it in the meeting place, the tent of meeting where God will give the man, his, his people made in his image, all of, the, all of these means of beginning to taste redemption, which is needed because not only did we sit in the garden but we can't keep these laws but God says I give you one thing I give you a substitute I give you a substitute and for generation upon generation upon generation God says over and over to the people I will be your God if you will be my people and the people say it over and over we will do it but his people can never do it they keep sinning and they keep sinning and they keep entering into this sacrifice that never holds, that never lasts. Because a pigeon or a goat or a perfect little sheep out of our pens do not, do not satisfy our sin forever. But just for that moment. But God all along is promising. Someday, I will do it. Someday. I will be that sacrifice. Man did not understand it. 
when Jesus Christ comes into the world, when he's born into this poverty, the religious figures do not understand him. They don't, they don't get this intimacy that God has with his people made in his image, this desire of God to save us from ourselves. And when he comes, they don't even recognize him. And the devil's plan is perfect. We would, we would cruelly murder the one who came to save us. For me, this is the uh, holiest night of the year. Now, some people might say, well, it's Good Friday, and that's fine. Or maybe it's Easter when the resurrection and, and the Lord God forever shatters death for any that would choose to put their life in his hands. But for me, Monday Thursday, if you... If you Follow along with Jesus, reading closely. There's so much going on this night. Jesus getting together. He's uh, to celebrate the Passover. He's trying to get the room. They're they're gathering up. They're having they're having dinner together. He and Judas have a little uh, a special drama going on. If you read John, uh, uh, John especially, you see all this interaction with Judas and and the other disciples. There's just all kinds of activity. And then Jesus comes up and washes the feet. And it shocks everyone, as it should have. That's for the slave to do to the master. Not for the master to do to the slave, to the dead, the dying. But Jesus washes the feet. Now, sadly, from my standpoint, an awful lot of good uh, Monday Thursday services tend to focus, and for good reason, on the washing of the feet. Because it turns everything inside out. In the, in the, in the uh, Last Supper, at that moment where washing, Jesus washes the feet, we are literally, or God is, we are participating, watching a great theology take place. God is turning the world as we understand it inside out. This is not the way we do things. And Jesus says, our ways are not his ways, or his ways are not ours. He's revealing himself to us. If you want to know theology, if you really want to know theology, take this week and, and see what you can learn about your God and his relationship with us. I don't know many things about God. I don't know what it means to exist forever. There are some people I think I want to try to make that a Try to figure that out, you know? Maybe it's a cool thing to figure out, I don't know. But I, don't, I will never know it here. I don't know what it means to be spirit. There's a lot of things about God I don't know. And we spend a lot of time sometimes trying to talk about God in a way like that we know things that maybe we're not really 100% sure of. And we get distracted. There's one thing I do know about God. On this night, he washed the feet of lowly man. Sinful men. The same men, not these individuals, but the same mankind that will soon crucify him on a cross. You want to know about God? You want to know about theology? Study this week. Study the events of Jesus because it tells you something about a God who is great. A God who loves in a way that we don't understand. Well, that's a good one. 
let's talk about God and love. Uh, yeah, God and love is patient and kind. We don't understand God's love. It is further above our capacity to love than the East is far from the West. You want to know how I know that? Because the love of God is revealed in these passages. It's a love we don't understand. Not only does he wash the feet of his servants, his friends, he asks them basically to take a walk with him, and they head out to the garden. Now we're getting really serious. Washing feet is a big deal, but it's not as big as what's getting ready to come. The washing of feet is, is a metaphor. This is what you do. This is what it looks like to be, for the first to be last. It's a living metaphor. Jesus really did it, but he's getting ready now to live out this claim. This claim for you and for me. It's a horrific thing. It's something that nobody could have thought of on their own. No man was going to invent this story. In fact, this story confuses generation upon generation of people who think they want to know God, but they really don't know God because this story can only be revealed, understood by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when anyone, anyone received the Holy Spirit, the same story comes alive in the hearts of men for 2,000 years. The same story, the same power, the same, uh, the same claim. He goes into the garden and he says, pray for me, pray for me. They don't know what's coming. They, he's been talking in mysteries that they don't understand. Pray for me now. And he goes into the garden. Remember, this is the night. This is the hour for the Father to be glorified, for the Son to glorify the Father, and the Father to glorify the Son. His glory is about ready to come through. It must be some gigantic triumph. It is. It's a triumph of love. Not of, not, of, uh, not of victory of armies. It's a triumph of selflessness. It's not a triumph that we would understand. Peter even says earlier in the scriptures, I will defend you, Jesus. I will defend you. And Peter, not knowing what he was saying, did not even understand that he was now participating with the work of the devil. Get behind me, Satan. You do not understand. You cannot claim things in my name that you do not understand. The Father will reveal. On that I will build my church. But you can't understand my claim upon you. He goes into the garden and he does something remarkable. He sweats blood. I read an article out of the uh, uh, JAMA. Journal of uh, American Medical Association a number of years back. That's not a lightweight thing, okay? The article was about whether a man could sweat blood. The article said yes. It really could. Phys physically, this could happen. They say the problem is that no man would survive the stress that got you to that point. He would stroke out, he would have a heart attack or whatever. But that was not the course laid for Jesus Christ. He would not stroke out. He would not die of a heart attack. He had to go through hell, literally, to make a claim of love upon you. So he goes into his garden and he says something remarkable. He says, Father, take this cup from me if you would. What's this cup, this cross, this 
he who knew no sin. He's facing this in the garden. He who knows, 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 he who knows no sin is about to become sin. Do you understand the implications of that? He who knows no sin. We're talking about from eternity, whatever that even means. From the beginning, whatever that means, forever. He has known no sin. In the garden, he's wrestling with this awful, awful promise. I'm here to redeem the ones that I claim. Not a goat, but a perfect lamb. I will take their sin. And he wrestles with it. Oh, it's not just sin, friends. He has dwelt forever. Whatever that means. Theology. I don't know what that means. But I do know this. He has never, ever spent a moment. He has always been in community with the Father and the Holy Spirit. One God. Three persons. One God. Living together perfectly. And now, because of me, he's about ready to separate from that which he has always known. You want to know about God? How could he do this? And why would he do this? You want to know about God? Review, read these passages. This is theology. This is God. How, how could he do this? Before he goes into the garden, he gives a new commandment, friends. The commandment doesn't sound new, but it is new. He says this, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I love you. The new part is this, as I love you. It's no longer some idea of love that we have, which is all twisted into mostly selfishness. You hurt me? Oh, well, you'll pay the price. That Jesus says, you hurt me. And I will forgive you. Now the hour has come. Excuse me. Love one another as I love you. And what we find in the garden is what the love of God looks like. Father, take this cup for me. God, please. But not my will, Father. Your will be done. And an angel comes and ministers to Jesus. And we don't know how long this goes on. We don't know what it looks like. All we know is he is so stressed that he's sweating blood. And he says, but not my will. And he girds himself up. He's ministered to and ministered to. And he's in prayer with his father. And between the words of his father and the help of this of the angels, he girds himself up and stands up and he goes out and finds his friends who are now sleeping rather than praying. And he says, wake up, don't you understand? And the guards all of a sudden show up and there's Judas, he comes up and kisses him. And with a kiss, he betrays, he completes the betrayal. Don't you know, Judas, who you're betraying? With a kiss. And the guards leave him alone. 
he could have called down, he said, and he notes in, it's known in scripture, he says, I could have called down legions of angels. Don't anybody make the mistake, Jesus didn't have to die, he gave himself. Because this is what love looks like. So for me, this is the most holy night of the year. He's gonna to die tomorrow, yes. But he fights this battle, our battle. The same battle except magnified about a million times that we fight every day when we try to make the decision between my way and God's way. For a brief moment, Jesus was tempted for his way and none of us would have any hope. But on this night, Monday, Thursday, after he's washed his, his servants' feet and after he's supped with them and talked and dealt with Judas and he comes to this quiet place and he loves you to the end. Jesus Christ said, not my will. It is for love that he will go to the cross for the love of his father. Those who love me keep my commandments. I love my father. I do everything he says. And for the love of us, you are his. Jesus says it. I'll lose not one. Not one of mine that the father has given me. So this is the whole of this night. And it's not just because of that story. It's because of theology. Because of this night, I know. I know about my God. He makes it so clear in just a few hours. Friends, this world is not his kingdom. That's coming. But in this world, you have one who loves you fiercely. You have one that has chosen you selflessly. We don't know as much about God, I think, as sometimes we think we do. But friends, when we read these passages and think about our God and theology, tell you we don't need to know anything else our God is an awesome God whose love has been poured out for the ones he made in his own for the ones that killed him on a cross for the ones he promised he would lose not one this is a night that uh, Jesus Christ literally chose you and my invitation is let this be the night that you truly choose Jesus. You want to know about God? Choose him this night. And see, see how he loves you. Father, we praise you and thank you for this awesome display of love. Father is glorified on the cross. God is glorified. God, may we glorify you with our life by loving you just even enough for the size of a mustard seed bag.
God, help us to know you. Help our theology, Lord. God, help us to know you in your life, in your death, in your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.